Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I have a very fun and interesting conversation with Anne Burdick. Anne is a graphic designer, a writer, researcher, and educator, and is currently the chair of Art Center College of Design's Media Design Program in Pasadena. In this conversation, Anne and I talk about her early interest in design, where she grew up with a father who was a designer and actually attended the Aspen Design Conference when she was a teenager. And then working as a designer and growing disenchanted with it before attending Cal Arts so she could study with Lorraine Wilde. It turns out that Anne's career and trajectory mirrors a lot of my own journey from wanting a deeper critical discourse around design to trying to uh, build a career that's sort of a mix of self-initiated work and teaching and writing and client work. We also talk about how she started writing and got connected with Immigre. We talk about how design can't fall back on how it's always been done and has to evolve to react to and be a part of uh, our contemporary culture. I was also really fascinated with the Media Design Practices MFA program that she runs. And we talk a lot about how they think about design there and the role of the designer and the new types of practices that are available to contemporary designers. I, I have nothing but the best memories of, of my own MFA experience, but I have to admit that talking to Anne about, about this program, I would have loved to experience what they're doing there. I think it's just so, so interesting. As I hope you'll hear, this was a very fun one for me. I really love talking to Anne and am just in awe of the work she's doing and was so glad to get to have her on the podcast. So this is me talking with Anne Burdick. across your work you're you're one of you're one of these people who i feel like i've encountered your work your writing your name and kind of all of these different places and i never put them all together until just a couple months ago actually uh, uh-huh. where it was like oh that's that person she's the one who's doing all of this stuff um and so i don't you know i'm i'm embarrassed to admit that i've kind of come to discover your work more holistically just in the last couple of months. So I kind of wanted to start with just a little bit of your background to help kind of put a frame around some of that for me. And then we can kind of talk about that, that work that you are doing. And so I kind of wanted to start with just a little bit about your, your background and and specifically where your interest in, in design came from or, or, or how did that start? So, um, so my father was a designer. Oh, okay. And yeah, he was an environmental designer or oh, industrial wow. designer. Um, and uh, he designed, uh, he worked for the Ames when he was oh. in his early part of his career. And wow. then he, he designed furniture for Herman Miller. And oh, he wow. designed a lot of really interesting exhibitions. And so, you know, it, I kind of grew up in a studio. Okay. So design was sort of always around me and like a part of my life from the get-go. Um, and, uh, without going into too much detail, but I, 
ended up kind of following in my father's footsteps and then um, having a period of rebellion. So following in my father's footsteps meant that I went to, uh, for a portion of time, a part of my undergraduate education at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. And um, then rebelling against my father meant that um, about seven years later, I went to graduate school at CalArts, where, (laughs) you know, he said, you're going to... Uh, you know, what are you going to do there? Wear hoop earrings and make macrame. And (laughs) (laughs) so, um, anyway, it's, (laughs) yeah. Um, so the, the really interesting thing that I learned from my father was, you know, because he did a lot of, he did exhibition design that, um, it it kind of married three dimensional industrial design with, um, learning and interaction and content. And so the kinds of exhibitions he did were like museum of science and industry, Mm. or he did an exhibition on creativity where he featured, um, you know, John Cage and Judy Chicago and Buckminster Fuller and, Um, You know, he got to interview these people and I got to meet some of these people. And so I was always around this idea of design as a really interdisciplinary, um, ideas-based way of um, engaging with the world. So um, my interest was in uh, graphic design because I was really interested in um, writing and text and books and things like that. And so my degrees are all in graphic design. But when I went to CalArts, it was similar to your story of uh, going to MICA. You know, I was sitting in a really awesome design studio with a lot of very enlightened and and, um, really amazing colleagues or uh, co-workers. But, you know, no one was really asking questions about work around me. And um, they there was an AIGA meeting in the studio one night that I was listening in on as I was, you know, making mechanicals at my desk and Lorraine wild was there. And the way she spoke about design, like really kind of blew my mind. And I thought, Oh, this is the kind of thing. And so, um, I started looking at her work and it's really because she was a writer and right. a designer and she was one of the few design critics, design historians who was writing um, critically at that time. This is before Ellen had published right. her work. And um, the uh, and so I was like, I want to study with this person. So, okay. And then also at that time, um, coincidentally uh my boyfriend was roommates with barry deck who was oh, one of wow. the students in the graduate program at CalArts. so okay. um yeah and so barry was the first person i heard refer to a typeface as being racist and i was mm. like wow type design can be racist and um you know just l- talking about meaning and culture and um politics in the context of design was not a very, was not very prevalent at the time. And so that's why I went to school at CalArts was to get exposure to that kind of thinking. And also to, to do, I was really just interested in writing and designing. Right. I mean, you can't, you, we're, we're not, we can't see each other right now, but I have a, a big smile on my face because <laughs> you've kind of hit 
five other points that I kind of wanted to ask you about. Um, So there's a couple things in there that I would like to pull out a little bit, um, if that's okay. Sure. And and the first one is, I'm always interested, one of the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you is that it, it seems that very core to your work is this idea that design is more than just this kind of visual decoration. Uh, and, and that's comes across in kind of everything that you do, whether it's kind of writing design work or, you know, even, uh, you know, the program that you run now seems like that. Uh, and I'm always curious and, and I, I think that I'm that way and I'm always curious where that comes from, like why Mm -hmm. there are certain designers who are drawn to that side of it. And then there are other designers who are drawn to the visual side of it. And that's not to say that, you know, the two of us are not visual people or not drawn to that, but there's that other side. And so mm. it sounds like that's just always been there for you from a very early age. You were kind of exposed to that. Yeah, I was definitely exposed to that. And, you know, I, I just got bored at a certain point. <laughs> right, right. Yes. <laughs> you I, know, it's yeah. kind of like there's, there's got to be more. I mean, I know that there's more to this. And actually, um, you know, just sort of frustrated with, um, yeah, you know, it's funny when I, when I left art center, must be, you know, eighties, um, I went to interview with the head of the program and, uh, to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I I hadn't completed my degree, but uh, I was just leaving to go work. And, um, and I said, you know, Oh, you know what I, what would be really interesting would be to have a class in design thinking, (laughs) not knowing like, you know, what design thinking like became or become, had, was that a term, was that term? No, like had that, that had IDEO made that yet? No, 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 no. That's amazing. No, and I'm not saying like, oh, I invented design thinking, but I just remember having this conversation with him of saying, you know, this way of thinking that is design, you know, like Mm -hmm. communication and meaning making and, and, you know, which was sort of the emphasis for me at that time. Um, I didn't, I wasn't getting that in my classes and I thought that they needed something dedicated to that. And so, um, it was just kind of, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of related to, to the other question that I have around this, around your background is, is hearing Lorraine Wilde and, and she's somebody whose writing has been very influential to me, whose name comes up all the time in these conversations that I have when when you heard her did could you tell kind of immediately that she was talking about these things the way that you were kind of wanting more of or or talking about things that you felt were missing in in your design practice absolutely yeah no it was instantaneous I mean there wasn't yeah I don't even remember what she said yeah I just remember thinking that is the thing that I am looking for right and, and not finding around me. And so, um, yeah, it was and, just kind of, you know, that moment of recognition. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I feel like Cal Arts, especially in, in the, you know, kind of early mid nineties really yeah. became the, the hotbed for thinking about design critically thinking about design theory. Um, you know, there, I feel like they're, People from CalArts are very connected to Immigre, which was obviously, you know, very big. Were you aware of all of that 
at the time also or or was that kind of why you you wanted to go there or was that all new to you when you when you started there um I was definitely aware of emigre okay um you know that was sort of in you know any kind of culturally oriented experimental design studio Emma Gray was around um and I also was aware of Cranbrook right um and uh had you know met the McCoys and some of their graduate students you know but again that comes from you know being like at the international design conference in Aspen from the time I was like 17 till the time I was like 27 um (laughs) you know with my dad right so you know going there is like a kind of annual family excursion and so um meeting you know a whole batch of graduate students from cranbrook who were there with the mccoys kind of thing so um but the whole but design but you know the critical theory was not something i would have been i oh let me take it back I did have I quoted Marshall McLuhan in my um, <laughs> okay. okay in my application essay, um, but uh, it would have been at CalArts. I mean, CalArts was you know in addition to what was happening in the graduate des- graphic design program, it was just like a hotbed right. of um, multiculturalism, feminism, Marxism, critical theory. You know, I yeah. definitely because I was interested in writing. Um, was taking lots of classes within their whatever critical studies department and right um so it was so that's where i really got exposed to um kind of rigorous theoretical thinking and writing um i mean that that actually this was not a question that i was planning on asking but um i have that uh the reprint of the blueprint for counter-education Oh, right. Yeah. Book that is, you know, very related. I, you know, I think some of the people were previous CalArts professors. I don't know exactly kind of how that connects to it exactly. Um, but was there a lot of, I, I don't know the word, was there, a, was the, the kind of critical theory department that was talking about all of those things, was that like seeping in to the design departments also? Or, or, you know, or, oh, definitely. Or did they seem yeah. Separate? No, definitely. I mean, it was really, it was pervasive throughout okay. the institution. So, with the sole exception of the character animation department, which was always really <laughs> right. sort of funny. Right. Um, but uh, no, that was, uh, I mean, you know, the, the art, um, let's see. Um, there was, when I was a student there, there was an exhibition that I loved that was this kind of um, mining the institution kind of exhibition mm-hmm. where where one of the art students had gone into the archives of the college and had found all these materials. And so, you know, historically, there was a time when the graphic design department was the women's design department. Oh. Right. And they kicked out all the men. Right. And so there were loads of documents from that time with, you know, like um, writings from professors, well, professors from whatever, instructors um, that said things like, today we sat in a circle and we broke down the hierarchy between, you know, faculty and student and, you know, all this really early feminist 
activities that um, feel so naive now, but, you know, were this kind of really necessary step in terms of figuring out how to rework patriarchy, basically. Right. And so, um, so yeah, so no, it was embedded in the college as a whole. And Lorraine was hired by um, Mary Lord. I mean, she mm. was, you know, a feminist mm -hmm. uh, uh, critic and... Um, so uh, it was the institution, right? You know, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. I, I have two. And it was the openness. Actually, let me just say, uh, sorry, it was the openness of the institution to alternative pedagogies, right? That um, got. I mean, I don't know. You, it would be better to get the official history from someone else, but right. you know, basically. Um, Catherine Lord. Did I say Mary Lord? It's Catherine Lord. Okay. Anyway, okay. Uh, it's my understanding that Catherine Lord read something that Lorraine had written that was like a new model for design education and called her up and said, come do this here. Mm, okay. And so it, and so it was, CalArts was allowed to flourish and be this kind of, as Stephen Heller called it at a moment in time, a hotbed for, you know, whatever kind right. of, um, yeah, radical thinking. Right. And, right. um, but it was, that was the institution. Okay. It was, yeah. I, I have two other quick questions just kind of around your time there and around your background before we kind of move into, to your current work. And, and one of them is directly related to what you're just talking about. And I'm curious if you were seeing those kind of critical theory classes having an influence on the design work that you were making at the time or how you were thinking about your design work? Um, that was really woven into the project briefs in the graduate program. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, well, I guess different people engage with it in different ways. I mean, for me, like the, the thing that ended up becoming, um, wait, let me just rephrase that. For me, the, um, my thesis project was actually writing, okay. um, that I then designed. And it was this piece that ended up in that looking closer collection, but it was right. published in gray and it was called Neomania feeding the monster. Right. right? And yeah. so it was, um, about the role of style in the style as, um, a kind of cultural language. Yes, I remember and that this was piece. Directly informed by reading, you know, uh, Stuart Ewan and all the cultural studies critiques of the okay. time, looking at semiotics and structuralism and post-structuralism, um, Dick Hebdige, subculture and the meaning oh, of yeah. style. Yeah. So, and Dick Hebdige, well, later, a little bit later, came to teach at CalArts, but um, but that was all. Those were readings. Hmm. I mean, that would have been the trajectory I took, not every one of my right, classes. Right, right, yeah. That's... But, but that, that critique of meaning was embodied in the, in the projects. Okay. And then and just to kind of tie all of, all of that up a little bit, you, you mentioned earlier that you always had an interest in writing and text and books. Was that something that was – did you see that very early on as related to your – design work or I'm kind of curious of when you started writing about design 
Was that it? Would have been when I went to grad school. Okay, and was that something that you were kind of conscious of that you wanted? And I think it was definitely the reason that I wanted to go to study with Lorraine Wilde at CalArts. Absolutely, Um, the. Being at the International Design Conference in Aspen and watching people, designers speak on a stage to an audience about design in an intelligent way yeah. was a you know, great exposure. And yeah. I, for whatever reason, <laughs> some like crazy combination of naivete and hubris, thought, you know, I want to be that person. Right, right. There, I want to be thinking these things. I want to be standing on that stage. I want to be sharing them with others. I want to be having a conversation about it. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I I relate to that that kind of whole story completely. To to, I know when you were telling me your trajectory, I was just like, oh my god. Yes, this. Yeah, I mean, parallel lives. We're very we're very (laughs) similar here. And so I'm curious. I mean, so that's why I'm I'm really curious. When you were kind of graduating from Cal Arts, what what were you thinking was next? Did you want to go back to being a, a practicing designer or or kind of how did these things start to fit together as a career for you? Well, so um, I went to the Netherlands for okay. a year. My time at CalArts coincided with uh, Rudy's engagement with Jeff Keaty. Okay. And, um, you know, so Barry Deck and Laurie Makala and Lorraine and Jeff and Ed were all sort of, you know, in dialogue with Rudy. And um, Rudy did handed over an issue of Emigrated Jeff Keaty to edit about CalArts. Right. And so a piece of my that was my first year at CalArts and a piece of my writing was in there. And Rudy really liked it. And he asked me if I had more. Okay. And so uh, that was like, that was my first piece of published writing, I think. Oh, interesting. Um, and so um, that was encouraging. And also Lorraine had written an, an essay and in it she had quoted something I'd written. And I thought, mm. oh, wow. Lorraine yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> That's, you know, validation, right? Yeah. So, like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking something that's, <laughs> right. you know, uh, no one's put out there before, maybe <laughs> in a little bit. And so um, so that was super encouraging. I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm very interested in people who kind of immerse themselves in design academia, but never leave the, the kind of professional world also. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you and that it seems like you've maintained a professional design practice while also writing and teaching and running a design program. And I'm kind of, I, I'm, I'm interested in how that, was that a conscious decision for you? Did you, were you kind of looking for that type of career or how did that, was that something that just kind of happened organically? Yeah. So, um, so when I left CalArts, um, I definitely wanted to keep writing. Okay. And, um, so I actively, uh, pursued an ongoing conversation with Rudy. I went and visited him before I moved to the Netherlands. And that was when he said, do you have any more writing? And I said, well, I have my thesis. And he's like, well, that would be great. I'd love to see it. And so, um, I moved to the Netherlands. I was fortunate enough to 
land in the studio bar lock where Vincent von Barr was working with Armand Mavis and Lyndon Van Dersen right. on this next issue of Emigre. But that was all because Rudy connected me with them, which was amazing. And so I got to be there in the studio working on that with them and assisting and stuff. And then I kind of did a trade with them. Like I taught them how to use their new Macintosh computer <laughs> in exchange for getting time on the Macintosh in order to produce the uh, piece for Rudy in publishable form. And um, then I had met Rick Pointer around that time and so started writing for iMagazine. And, um, you know, there weren't, there weren't, and design criticism was totally nascent. And, you know, a lot right. of it is just being in the right place at the right time. Right. And, you know, here's editors who have pages to fill. And they're just looking for voices, right? And there just weren't that many. And so um, I think I was really fortunate to, you know, I had a lot of opportunities um, because it was kind of a wide open field. Um, so then, you know, I had all these new models of practice in front of me. I had, you know, what Jeff Keaty and Lorraine Wilde and Ed Fella were doing. I had what Barry Deck was doing. I had what these uh, Dutch designers were doing. Um, and, you know, that's what I wanted was this mix of criticism and practice. Yeah. And then um, – and some teaching, too, because I really liked teaching. I'd been teaching for a couple of years before I went to grad school. Oh, okay. Um, and that actually, that's the first sense of, like, the meta of, of thinking about what design is, right, is yeah. through teaching. Yeah. And so, um, so I really liked the shifting of points of view, being in design, being outside of design, and being meta about design, right? And right. so... Um, and then my idea was to do one third, one third, one third, which ends up being like one third self-initiated projects, one third teaching and one third studio practice. Yeah, yeah. But of course it ends up being like 50%, 50%, 50%. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I was going to say this sounds, I know what you're talking about right yeah. now. So then there were times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach full time all the time. And I went and taught for two years at North Carolina State University, oh, which was awesome that. because that was when Andrew Blauvelt was yeah. there. So that was fantastic. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, became good friends with Andrew and also, you know, exposed to the rigor of his thinking and the graduate program that he was running there at that time. And, um, and that's actually when I edited those two volumes called Mouthpiece of, of okay. Emigre Magazine based on writing and design. So that allowed me to like get some funding and to dedicate some time specifically to that. But then I missed um, being in like professional practice. And right. so, you know, so right. kind of shifting back and forth with different proportions of each. But, you know, really the last like five, seven years, I haven't had a client client for maybe five years now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, but, okay. uh, and so now I'm really shifting into, um, research mode. Right. I, all right. I want this, this is perfect. I want to, I want to, <laughs> um, I, I, it is really amazing to me kind of how similar your trajectory is to the, the career that I feel like I am on in that I am now in that <laughs> that one third, one third, one third, where I am, I am teaching at schools here in New York. I am 
kind of running a small studio that, you know, me yeah. basically. Um, and then I'm, tr- I'm doing this podcast and writing and kind of, you know, yeah. these self-generated projects. And so everything you're talking about, I relate to, um, yeah, a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, I'm, I'm, I really want to talk to you. Something that I'm very interested in is this program that you're running at, at art center, um, mm. design, design media 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 design practices we yeah. call it yes and can <laughs> i would love for you to kind of you know before we kind of talk about it a little bit just you know even if it's just kind of like the boilerplate but just w- what is that and what does that <laughs> what does that mean yeah um well it means that we're confused (laughs) (laughs) which is exactly what we want to be right right I love that it means that we're at the edge of we're like perpetually keeping ourselves at the edge of something that's emerging and has yet to take a full finished form and that's exactly where we like to be which makes it a very difficult thing to define and describe to people Um, but it's, you know, it's a kind of, uh, interdisciplinary emerging, you know, it's, it's designed for the world as it's rapidly changing and emerging. And I think that there's new roles for design, new places for design to show up, um, and new challenges for designers to address, um, within design itself. So, um, yeah, it's just a place of like constant questioning, constant invention, um, loads of meta things, and then lots of really like granular, hands-on right. kinds of things. I mean, so. that's I, without <laughs> without getting too kind of specific and and technical. I'm I'm kind of I'm curious, like, what is the you know I don't want to say what's the curriculum, but you know what uh. what's happening in in the classes. Okay, you, you know so, what I mean? Like that sounds yeah, so yeah. weird to to ask it that way, but well, um, so let me just say our core faculty has um, very little overlap in terms of disciplinary expertise, and every single so there's five core faculty members and myself, and sort of by design. Um, we all bring different, we all have different kind of disciplinary roots, but we're also all hybrid people who are bringing multiple disciplines into the mix. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so a lot of co-teaching so that you always have multiple perspectives. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, belief in design as a mode of inquiry. Right. So meaning, you know, designing to get someplace you haven't been before, um, designing as a way of investigating the world, um, as well as, as designing as a way of sort of generating new forms and ideas and things, stuff, systems and things that you put out into the world. So, yeah. Yeah. I love Um, that. I love that. I mean, I look, I had, I had a, a, incredible graduate school experience and I wouldn't trade it and it was everything I wanted it to be but I'm so mad that I didn't know about this program <laughs> when I was looking at grad schools yeah it's fun <laughs> um yeah so the what we've been doing for the last seven years is we have two tracks and one is called lab and one is called field okay and so the lab track um is so this is the boilerplate stuff right um deals with uh, emerging ideas from science, technology, and culture. Um, And the 
<clears throat> primary context for doing work is the kind of lab slash studio. So it's driven by the designer's curiosity and, um, okay. and as in, in dialogue with new technologies, experts from different fields, stuff that's happening in biotechnology or, um, yeah. I don't know, new social formations. That's so um, interesting. I mean, I was looking, I was looking <laughs> at your, your faculty list and, and, yeah. and advisors. And when I saw, you know, people like Benjamin Bratton, who's someone who I'm yeah. very, I just love his, his writing and saw that he was involved. I was like, oh, this is, this is different. I like this. Yeah, it is different. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the field track um, is uh, field work is at the heart of that track. Okay. So um, and also dealing with um, issue, inter, issues on a global scale and really looking at what's happening, the interconnectivity between the global north and global south right. and the impact and um what it means to design across cultures of all kinds, mm. disciplinary cultures, national cultures, mm. religious cultures. And um, so that track starts with people. And there's um, an amazing anthropologist named Elizabeth Chin, who is um, on our faculty, who's a part of that. And so, but now um, what we're doing is we're merging the two tracks into one track. Oh, interesting. I mean, into one department. We had them separate for a while because we thought it's really important for us to go deep on these very different ways of working. Like what's happening with speculative critical design? Like how right. far can we push it and critique it and build it into some, and you know, these interesting practices and what's happening with social innovation, which frankly, we're a bit critical of. Um, yeah. and you know, how, is there a way for designers to work, um, when there's a power imbalance or a privilege imbalance <laughs> yeah. and you know, how yeah. do, um, you know, what is, so, um, so, so, you know, the field track really investigating that and giving each its own space and like a lot of time to develop a unique design approach. Right. And so now, um, now what we're doing is we're putting them back together and we're going to say, okay, so what we're going to do is have this combination of, um, kind of, uh, multiple uh, kind of critical worldviews, you know, multiple worldviews, various ways of being in the world from yeah. different cultures, wider range of cultures, and um, combined with uh, approaches to emerging technologies and emerging um, sort of forces at play in the world, and kind of how those things come together with a kind of um, inquiry-led design orientation to develop um, yeah. you know, some for going forward. I mean, you know, it's, it's a really complicated. Yeah. Topic, I mean, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> and design needs to step it up. I really think we need to, you know, design cannot fall back on the way it's been practiced, um, in the last 50 years. Right. And it's really, I mean, I, you know, this is like a kind of mission driven thing. Like, I just think that we have to really step it up and, and, be critical about the, you know, what design has contributed to creating dangerous mm -hmm. conditions, um, as well as, and have a lot more um, humility, a lot less hubris, a lot less problem solving, a lot less we're here to do it for you, and a lot more like listening and engagement and humility and invention and participation. So, that, yeah. yeah, there we go my diatribe <laughs> that i mean i'm i'm 
trying my hardest not to just gush right now because that's just I mean everything you just said is all the stuff that I'm interested in it's all the stuff that I've been thinking about over the last couple months it's things that come up in these conversations all the time and that that you know it's kind of been distilled down into this program I think is so so great and so interesting what kind of thank you for saying that Oh, I'm I am a huge fan of, awesome. of, of what you're doing. <laughs> um, I have I have two questions. I'm I'm interested. I like who. Let me think how to phrase these. I I have two questions that are are kind of related to each other. Who are the types of people that come into the program? Are they do they yeah. have design backgrounds already? And then and then kind of part B is what what do students go on to do after they graduate? Yeah you know, kind yeah. of usually, or, or what's kind of the, the standard trajectory? Totally. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, again, by design, the students come from like a really broad spectrum of backgrounds. Okay. So Russian literature, computer science, visual okay. anthropology, but also architecture, a lot of landscape architecture, a lot of, um, graphic design, mm. interaction design, film, you know, um, and uh, the idea is that they're all learning from one another, right? But and and you know, a lot of them are these kind of hybrid people, right? Like, well, I got my degree in this, but then I also always did this other thing, and then I have this third thing, and it's yeah. like, well, let's put this all together into a new design practice. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and then we have you know a three-year track to support people who need that design fast okay. track kind of. And then we have a two-year two-year path for you know people who already have the design chops, and so um, so yeah, so it's a super interesting mix, and you know of course also for the faculty we're always learning from the students as well, so yeah. um, so that's really important. And then um, what they go on to do always, um, you know, I have to say, uh, really blows me away. Um, our, our aim, you know, there's this piece I read about graduate design education, preparing designers for jobs that don't exist yet. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and, uh, so I probably wrote that, I wrote that in 2007. So I wrote that 10 years ago. Oh, and wow. at the time the idea was, and it just was published again in that Google span reader. But, yeah. um, the idea was, um, with our program was that, you know, we're anticipate, we're the kind of R and D for industry. Like we're anticipating Mm -hmm. what has yet to really fully be realized, um, in the workplace. And we're graduating. Our goal at the time was to graduate students who would go out and walk in the door and share their work. And the, you know, manager supervisor would say oh my god we need this we didn't know we needed it before now we can't not have it and we're going to start a new job description and line of you know right a new line and it's just for you and you are going to be named x and you know whatever it is Mm -hmm. and uh we have had so many and it continues to happen and i'm really proud of that because you know that's a great aspiration but we actually have like the we have loads of students who we have a student who graduated from the field track and went to linkedin to to open a new division called field research um you know we have people who become, I don't know, uh, we have somebody who's an intern at a place teaching everyone how to do, uh, 
uh, how to design for uh, augmented reality. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, the our, our graduates have these ways of working that are sort of anticipatory that I've yet to really fully land in a lot of design studios or corporations. And so they're kind of, we require um, our students to do an internship, but not in a design studio. Oh, they that's have to great. do an internship in a place where design is not typically found. And so that's, that's so they interesting. go work in like a research lab at Caltech or, um, you know, on the Mars rover team at, at the Jet Propulsion Lab or, um, you know, it... Um, um, I don't know, at the mayor's office or, you know, some of these places designers are now increasingly being found, but our, our graduates were definitely some of the first people in these positions. Um, we have a graduate who started a UNICEF innovation lab in Jakarta. Oh, wow. Um, so, huh. you know, they really do these amazing things. Um, and then, you know, there's, any student from our program who wants it could turn around tomorrow and get a job at any tech company, right? right. Because they're familiar with what's how they know how to design for emerging technologies, and that's super desirable. Yeah. Um, so we're like, we're like, oh, well, the plan B is you'll get this, you know, sort of an extraordinary job. Right. <laughs> That's but then amazing. also, you know, we really try to foster independent practices like the one that you're running, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we have, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, people join startups, people go into nonprofits, activism, journalism, lots of different places. So I, I love yeah. that. I mean, that's, it's just, it's so, so great. Um, I want to, I want to come back to something that you said a little bit earlier when you were talking about the program, that's something that I've been thinking about a lot and, and starting to talk to, to people about. Uh, I'm very interested in specifically graphic design, but design in general's it kind of its role in culture and how culture is made. And, you know, this podcast kind of at a high level is about design criticism and, and how we talk about design. And, and I'm increasingly finding that, that that's the piece that I feel like is missing a lot of times mm -hmm. is, is designs... Yeah role in a lot of these things in the and that's why I was kind of smiling when you were talking about um, how designers really need to step it up and the example that I always use and it's a it's an easy example and I've said it many times on this podcast but it's it's relevant and I think works is is the idea of fake news and how mm. that very much is a design problem in a mm. lot of ways or is a product of design in a lot of ways and so I I, I would love to just kind of hear, I don't have a specific question there, but I would love to just kind of hear your thoughts on both design's role in kind of shaping the world, but then also the designer's role in in that. Oh boy! Do you, I mean, um, I'm so, I know that's a big question, and it's yeah. not really even a question, but. Uh, okay, so let's see. Um, After that, I just have a series of quick, easy questions to wrap it up. So, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Well, okay, so uh, what I can say is that I'm currently doing a PhD mm. at Carnegie Mellon in the School of Design there. And 
for the last, so this kind of research trajectory that I'm on has to do with, um, my work with writing and design has found its most sort of comfortable home in this area called the digital humanities. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh, my work with writers and texts has been interested in the, uh, role of design in the structuring of writing Mm. and what that makes possible to say in and through writing and um, really profoundly informed by Jay Bolter's book called writing spaces from the eighties, but um, it's worth checking out. Okay. (laughs) Um, And, uh, so, um, so I've kind of been a design ambassador in, um, with humanities scholars right. to say, okay, there's no neutral form of writing yeah, <laughs> and, um, the shape and structure of writing has, informs you know what can be said how and by whom yeah and um that's a design question and um right yeah but it's also but it doesn't sit in isolation there's no design question that sits by itself (laughs) yeah right yeah it's always kind of exists at the intersection of multiple systems and um, is a kind of negotiating between all of those systems. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think designers have a lot of tacit knowledge and understanding of the effects of their activities, the kind of ripple effect of choices that they make yeah. um, within a variety of systems, whether they're economic, political, social, material, yeah. you know, yeah. all of that. So, um I, yeah, I'm just going in circles. Yes, yeah, no, I, no, I love that. I mean, that's the, yeah, I mean, uh, th- again, yeah. th- these are the types of things that I've been thinking about a lot. And actually, the, I think kind of connecting that to, to, to writing specifically is not a connection that I had, had necessarily made before, but actually yeah. leads kind of perfectly into what my next question, my next question was for you, which was, I, I was kind of interested in how being a designer has kind of influenced your, your writing practice or vice versa, you know, how, how have those two kind of distinct creative activities shaped the, uh, the other one? Uh, I can't, I can't do either in isolation. Okay. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, every time I, it's become really hard for me to write something without being able to see where it lives. Oh, interesting. And so um, I'm always writing in a visible context. So I'm aware of what's around the writing and all of that. And so, you know, um, Johanna Drecker's work has, she's a pretty close friend of mine and, and, um, and colleague. Um, And, uh, 
you know, her work on visual epistemology is super informative um, in thinking about and diagrammatic writing and spatializing writing. But I never see writing as it's I can't I can't see writing without seeing what it's in and around and what's around it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's so interesting. (laughs) so um it's become really hard for me i can't just like open up microsoft word and write something of you know x number of words because it's going in journal x or something i have to like visualize a page of journal x and think about how the argument lays out on the page and what's beside it and Mm -hmm. you know so a lot of that is like it's kind of a visual kind of writing or a spatial kind of writing or a kind of diagrammatic kind of writing and so for me, designing and writing are the same gesture. Yeah, that's so interesting. I always think of, um, uh, I talked to Michael Rock, and mm-hmm. he he had this great quote that I, I think about all the time that he says that design is, is an elaborate form of writing and that, that, that they're the same kind of activity in that you're kind of taking these pre-existing pieces, whether it's images or, or letters, yeah. and putting them together into this kind of new thing. Yeah. Well, the word composition, I think it's really um, composing and composition is really great because, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious, and we started talking about this a little bit, but I uh, I always ask the guests, what are the, the kind of issues or topics that you think designers should be talking about today or should be a part of the design discourse or, or are not being talked about and should be talked about I let's see um I have to say that I think a lot of design discourse and criticism is pretty lightweight stuff Mm -hmm. yeah and um you know I've kind of retreated from more mainstream design environments because or not retreated from I've kind of moved towards something else I guess would yeah. be more the more the thing and so you know for me it's just gotten deeper and deeper into uh, academia um, right. But but not academia, I should say. It's gotten deeper and deeper into a research orientation. Mm-hmm. And that brings a certain kind of rigor with it. Right. And I'm really trying to design with the same degree of rigor that I'm also being asked to form theoretical arguments. Yeah, yeah. And so that means I have an audience of five. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But that's okay. I don't really care because <laughs> I can't not do this work. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, no, I love that. It, it's you know, you can add one more person. You know, it's, it's six, six. It's six people <laughs> because that's what I. That's what I feel like. I, I I'm always afraid that I'm kind of getting a little too preachy when I talk to people because that's where this podcast came from in a lot of ways was this sense that the design discourse had. Uh, has basically become this kind of surface level critique of complaining about kerning or looking at when, Mm -hmm. you know, a fortune 500 company redesigns their logo, let's, you know, tweet about it or whatever. And just felt like there was so much more that we could be talking about that wasn't being talked about. Yeah. Well, you know, so the other day uh, there was a tweet um, that said, 
from, you know, a really awesome group of people, thoughtful, smart, super well-educated, but said, you know, what, um, designers, oh, name some designers who have made a difference to humanity. And I was, <laughs> you know, this was like two days ago when the president's right. being really scary. Right. And I just tweeted, you know, I just tweeted a snarky tweet, I have to admit, um, that just <laughs> said, you know, those who have risked their lives to fight violence, you know, <laughs> yeah. violence and racism. And, you know, I don't think, I just, the idea of a designer, here's, when you say roles and things about designers, I think that the there's an inherent assumption within that question that the designer as an individual, mm. you know, could possibly, you know, has these sort of authorial or heroic qualities um, right. that I actually don't think that designers have. And I think right. that there's, you know, there's a lot of really interesting theory, especially from science and technology studies that looks at, you know, how people are actors and networks, you right, know, and, right. and, um, and, uh, uh, and I think that the human centered, it actually, I think if designers are going to take anything on, it should be to dismantle the notion of human centered anything because mm -hmm. human centeredness is what got us in this climate change problem. Right. And that there are humans are but one aspect of a variety of, you know, actors and agents and forces and uh, species that um, live on this planet together. Right. And, um, and so I think that um, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of conceptual models built into notions of good design that need to be seriously yes. dismantled yes. users and humans and individuals and authors and yeah. heroes yeah. are all in the mix <laughs> yeah yeah i'm so mad that you bring all of this up right at the end of this conversation because because i could i could talk about this for another hour yeah. Um, that I, I, is the project that those underlying assumptions um, could help to reorient the field to deal with what's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, so. yeah, that's so. Yeah, my last <laughs> question is a. Uh, You've uh, really opened up a you know a, a permission for me to just go off. Right, right. Why'd you have to wait until <laughs> until the end of this? Um, I agree. Yeah. Like I, you know, I I, I really do agree with that a hundred percent. And I think, you know, it got me thinking about even that, that term that I used of, you know, the role of the designer. And I think for me, that question comes out of this sense that I feel like designers don't even think about how they fit into the larger system a lot of times yeah. um, and how the work that Definitely. they make is not just this kind of superficial decoration, but is contributing to, these systems that already exist and that needs to be talked about. And I feel like okay. it's not happening in the forums where it should. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot it's of amazing ways. to me that, you know, to hear you say that just reflecting on, you know, like these parallel paths that we have and the fact that I'm probably 30 years older than you is like, those are the questions I had when I was in grad school yeah. and they're still persist. Like those are the issues I had with design as a profession, as a, you know, 
professional body. And those and the fact that we haven't gotten a whole lot further on that stuff is troubling. Right. right. That actually is a nice I mean it's not nice, but it's a <laughs> it's a good way for me to frame this last question. Okay. Which is kind of how okay. I end all of them and and, and I, I think is is interesting in this context of, of this kind of parallel tracks that we're on. I'm very curious, who are the the books, the writers, the authors, the the designers who have really influenced the oh, way yeah. you think about this stuff or have shaped you or what would be, you know, uh, uh, a quick reading list that you would give to, you know, to your students or to, to listeners or, or me to, to, to kind of think about these things in, in different ways, maybe. Okay, so um, so definitely Johanna Drecker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Catherine Hales. Okay, I don't know her. Catherine Hales is um, a literary scholar, mm. a media critic. She she wrote the book Writing Machines that I designed. Oh yeah, I've I've yeah. Uh, I know the cover of that book. So she's a. <laughs> <laughs> you had a. Buy yourself a copy. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. It's on my <laughs> <Just> list. <teasing. laughs> um, uh, she has a book called How We Became Posthuman. Oh, I don't know that one. Um, and let's see. Uh, Donna Haraway. Mm-hmm. Shannon Mattern. Okay. These are my heroes. Um, Matthew Kirschenbaum. I don't know him. He's a media archaeologist. Okay. Lori Emerson mm-hmm. and um, oh, I'm blanking. There's one more I know that I want. Oh, Lucy Switchman. Oh, I don't, I don't know that name either. And she's a, you know, she's a science and technology studies p- person, and she is really good at taking apart um, human centeredness and technology development. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's a great list that I need to dig into a little bit more. Some of those (laughs) names were were familiar, you know, very, you know, Joanna Drucker, obviously very familiar. Others, I I didn't, I know their names, and then some I didn't know at all. So that was, that was a, a great list. And thank you so much for this conversation. This was so fun and so interesting to me. And like I said, at the beginning, I love your work. I kind of love what you're doing. Um, and the way that you think about these things. And I thought this was such a, such a really interesting and, and enlightening conversation for me. So thank you so much for your time. Great. Thank you. It was fun for me too. This episode was recorded on August 18th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>